is the uh, we need to assume that our clients have all of the resources they need already within them. And we're just going to facilitate them now discovering what those are and how they can begin implementing them in their lives to change whatever their improvement goals are. Wow, that's, that's profound. Um, when someone comes to you, let's say for trying to stop smoking and they feel like a failure because they've tried 20 times and mm -hmm. have failed, or they're trying to lose weight and they say things along the lines of, I'm broken, I can't do this, um, I failed, I'm a failure. Mm -hmm. So taking that and making it personal, mm -hmm. um, knowing that no, you actually aren't, and bringing that evidence and that empowerment out. So yeah. if someone were to come to you with those feelings, because mm -hmm. I know I've seen that a lot, is I, I am a failure or um, you know, I, I'm not able to do this or I feel broken, mm -hmm. um, how do you approach people with that deep of a feeling of, mm -hmm. you know, this, this isn't going to work, but here I am anyway. <laughs> <laughs> My wife made me come. Well, and, and I think they, you, you kind of answered your own question in that last statement. Isn't that what motivational interviewing is? Yeah. <laughs> like you're, let's pretend you're the client. You, you're here. How'd you get here? Like there was some internal resource that brought you in here. What you're exhibiting for me right now, just by, you know, showing up, is courage. You've tried how many times to quit smoking, and yet you're willing to try again. Resilience. That's, yeah, resilience, persistence, courage. How brave is that? Yeah. That you are in this position, you're putting yourself willingly in this position to be vulnerable again, with someone to try. Yeah. That's a fact. So <laughs> that's a statement that makes them think because they came in, I can't do this, I failed. Well, you're here, you're already trying again. Despite failure, you're still at it. Oh, that's true. You know, the other piece that you made me kind of think about because you brought up the person's wife, for example, like I'm doing this for my wife. You're, for my kids, for my family. Okay, your family must be really super important to you. Talk to me about what your relationships are like and how this would influence your family. If you if you tried, not even let's not even talk about if you actually quit, but just by engaging the process, what can change for you and your family? Mm. What example would that be setting for your children? Mm. You know what. What would you like your children to be thinking of you as a father? What are the messages you'd like to send to them you know, by engaging in this process? So motivational interviewing really is about moving the client into a place of reflection and discovery. And it's almost like they're taking this big grand adventure. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Up because your <laughs> because for so long they probably felt very stuck, you know, just like they're spinning their wheels. They have one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake, and they haven't known how to move forward in an open, uh, discovery-oriented way. And so, motivational interviewing really helps to facilitate that. So, let's say there's someone that is really believing that they can't do it. Mm -hmm. So you, you guide them to this place, or try to, 
and you say, well, you're here, right? Yeah, but, or there's that but, and mm-hmm. in, in any response, mm-hmm. how do you approach that? So, I tend to be pretty direct. <laughs> tend to be pretty direct, but not in an, like a super aggressive, threatening sort of a way. I may say something to the client, like, and you know, it really would depend on where we are in our relationship too. You know, we have to be cognizant of of those dynamics as well and what level of trust that that person has in us. But I may say something like, Adam, can I share something with you? Sure. Okay. You know, as we're talking and I really value that we can have this open dialogue with each other, it feels to me like every time I offer um, an idea to you that your response is followed with a but and that that there's a belief like back here kind of guiding you it's almost like that belief that little voice is saying nope nope not this time not again like you really think you can do that does that resonate like does that sound somewhere close to what you feel is going on for you when I'm yeah yeah. Yeah, because when you when you say yeah but to me, I get I feel like shut down. I feel closed off. So and with that you're bringing like an awareness to their uh, maybe subconscious response. I am. Yes, and their the physical bodily response because if I'm feeling that, I can assume fairly accurately that that person is probably experiencing something similar. So where do you go from there? <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's a practice then in when you share something that can feel somewhat vulnerable to a person, being okay with having a little bit of silence. So when I say, does that feel that does that feel somewhat like what you're experiencing? And they may say, yeah, yeah, maybe. Well, so tell me what you're experiencing right now. Like, what's happening for you right now? And that person may say, I don't know. I don't know. Like, this is really hard for me. Okay. You know, that's a really, that's an okay place for you to be. In that hard place. How often do you experience that just sort of sense of stuckness? It really is, I'm not trying to diagnose anything. That's not what motivational interviewing is. No. It is giving the client the opportunity to say and experience what's occurring in the moment. And I'm, I'm, the, I'm this open canvas for them to do that with. To explore and to ask questions and lead them to an awareness point? Sure, yeah. I, I mean, motivational interviewing, I think, for a lot of people who use it, it's... Yes, and it's an exploratory tool, and oftentimes we're using it when we sit down with a client for the first time and we want to understand what's underneath their motivation to pursue a certain goal. What, is, what are the reasons that they're pursuing it? Um, what's going to change in their lives as a result of pursuing it? What are the barriers that they've experienced in the past when they've pursued it? 
um, know what are what are the resources or the skills that they've used uh, with their their previous attempts. Getting to things like, you know, you seem like a really accomplished guy, Adam. You know, talk to me about some some of those big achievements that you've had in your life. So in a situation or with a question like that, I'm going to learn about what you've really striven for in the past and what your, your strengths were in doing that. And then I can point those out to you. You may not be able to articulate it. You, you, you may just say, well, you know, I completed a PhD. And then, okay, he's given me an answer, but then with motivational interviewing, I'm like, my gosh, really? That's, that must have taken a lot of work and persistence and consistency. Tell me what that process was like for you. I bet that was really difficult. And then it opens them up to be able to explore everything that they, you know, really had to put into place to achieve that goal. Part of motivational interviewing is being able to lift that person up because like you said, they do come to you often from this place of stuckness and I can'tness and I'm not going to be able to and from a, a strong place of negativity. Right. So in um, presenting that awareness to let them share, um, you're providing a safe environment for them to co go deeper because a lot of times they might just dump the issue mm -hmm. and then when you prod a little, they'll give a little bit mm -hmm. and then based on how you respond, they'll either shut down or they'll be like, oh, she cares. <laughs> yeah, that's part of it is it's relationship building. We don't want this to be transactional. We really want it to be generative and trust building and safety generating and to be you know, within this space and have a container for us to have a very real, authentic, genuine conversation. And that's the thing. It needs to. It's a conversation. It's a back and forth. It's a dialogue. Yeah. Instead of a, you know, hey, how are you? Just very black and white. Very black and white. Very kind of rote and. Yeah. So you have to care, and really be in it. It helps. <laughs> <laughs> Don't just act like you care. It really works well if you genuinely are a caring human being. Yes. <laughs> that would be a, a big, important tip. Yeah. And so. most of us, though, most of us who are in healthcare or in a helping profession, we do. You know, we genuinely want to see people succeed and achieve their goals and uh, learn about themselves in the process and as coaches, you know, part of our job, we talked a lot about this today, um, part of what we are privileged to do, I will say, is to help people change the way they think and develop a greater level of awareness about what they think and how they think and the approaches that they take in their, in their lives. So many of us are, we're going through the motions and we're doing the day-to-day -day and we think the thoughts we think, but we've never thought about why we think those thoughts or if they're even valid thoughts or appropriate at this time in our lives compared to 10 years ago, for example, or if they're even serving us. 
That was a huge point um, that you made today is, and Brittany too, a fellow colleague chimed in, that thoughts are just things, they're not beliefs. And you have the power to choose whether to listen to them or not ignore, but just say like, oh yeah, you're there, but you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. And then what are we going to look at instead? What are we going to focus on? Exactly. So yeah. that's, that's a big thing is realizing that just because you have a thought that pops in your head doesn't necessarily mean it's a belief or a defining mm -hmm. principle about you. Mm -hmm. It's just that thoughts come and go. I guess yes. depending on how much caffeine you have <laughs> or how much pizza you eat, <laughs> lots of things can affect it. Um, so we talked a lot about like the intricacies of motivational interviewing and some of the roadblocks, but in general, mm -hmm. um, are there, because you have a ton of experience with this um, in working with, and, and if you want to share with what you did do prior to the diet doc mm. to give people some context of sure. the experience you have. Yeah. So. My bachelor's degree is in exercise physiology. My master's is in counseling. And after graduate school, I was doing in-home family therapy with children and families who were referred to me through the court system. Um, so this was a county job, and I would have to go into the homes. And our primary goal was to keep the children in the home or with some family member, even if it wasn't in that home specifically, because we know that children fare far better in those natural environments than when they're sent away to like juvenile detention or, you know, to some boys or girls home and they may learn skills while they're away and, you know, how to approach their emotions or, um, you know, they're the circumstances that are uncomfortable in effective in an effective manner, but then they come home to that same environment. And I mean, you hear this in addictions treatment all the time. The individual comes back to their old environment with the same people in it who haven't changed, the same environment that hasn't changed, and they don't know how to navigate or manage all of that. So uh, the failure rate is very high. So my job was to go in and help the families and the parents and the caregivers. And it's called multi-systemic therapy because I'm working in the schools and I'm working with the caseworkers and I'm working with the coaches if they're involved in you know, extracurricular activities and I'm in the courts advocating for these families and getting them all on the same page and getting them all to a place where they're promoting the development of these different skills and the utilization of their resources in the most effective way so that when I'm gone and I'm not in their homes anymore, they can function <laughs> by themselves and that it's sustainable. That's the big thing yes. is that they know how to use these skills on their own for the long term, not just here and now for a little bit of time. Not giving them a script, but instilling exactly. and bringing those skills that they have so they can replicate those on their own, be independent and managing those emotions. Yeah. Now, so. with that uh, job that you were in, yep. that's kids with lots of troubles and no support or mm. in, inversely, not no support, but negative support. So that, that's very sad to see, I'm mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. And I believe that counselors that work in that environment, the average life expectancy <laughs> is about three to six months. Is that correct? So the turnover rate that's for, the word. yeah, that job was a year and I did it for three years. <laughs> My point is she knows what she's doing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, 
it it certainly took a lot of personal reflection in terms of how am I taking care of myself and am I focused on my own personal recovery in the most effective way to be able to do this as long as I did it. Mm. Um, and it took me getting a lot of support from my colleagues and being able to process what I was experiencing. And um, we did have, we had a lot of supervision and each week we would, you know, we would convene as a, as a therapy team and we had a supervisor who, um, you know, we would do case consults and we'd discuss what we were doing because this was evidence-based treatment and so we were held to a very high standard in terms of what we were implementing and how we were implementing it within the homes. And these, these families would get phone calls every month uh, from headquarters <laughs> and they would, they would be given an interview. So, you know, we we would know if some of our skills as clinicians were lacking and we would have to set personal professional goals of, in terms of how to bolster those. Right. So um, it, it really did, it put me in a position to not only really reflect personally on my, my own process, but the process that I was using with my clients. And the biggest thing for me, Adam, was and bringing this back to what motivational interviewing to me is really about is creating that next level of awareness for people. Um, we may have a sense that we do these certain things and we behave this way, but we may not necessarily have an awareness of how it's impacting us or the influence that it's having on our environment or other family members or our long-term health, for example. So, you know, when we're, when we're talking about thoughts, you know, we, we may notice that, well, yeah, I think a lot that, you know, I have the thought that I'm stupid or um, I can't do this. That's something that I hear a lot in my head. Maybe you've... Um, Maybe that's a common thought for a client. It's different if they believe that versus they can say, oh, there's that thought again. Okay, you know what? I've had that thought for years. It doesn't have to affect how I feel right now. Um, and so the approach becomes different when we have that next level of awareness. And motivational interviewing can help us get to that. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so that's where Corey got a lot of her expertise, one of the many places that formed her to the heart of gold she has. Um, but that brings her to now in focusing with weight loss clients or clients looking to live healthier lives mm -hmm. from the inside out. From the inside out, yeah. It's, it's a fun practice for me because I really believe that everything starts with mindset and attitude and emotions as opposed to this external you know how do we look and am I the perfect weight on the scale and you know how high can I jump and we, you know, we have different fitness goals as well but when we know that our thoughts impact our emotions impact our behaviors um, and that we can train, we can really train three things in our lives. We can train our minds, we can train our bodies, and we can train our crafts. 
and most people aren't necessarily focusing on the training of their minds. You know, you may be the best freaking pharmacist in the world. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but if you're not training your mind, then you're, you know, and this is not my statement. I borrowed this from um, Michael Gervais. What he says, he's like, you could be the best person at your craft, but if you're not training your mind, then you're just a technician. Yeah. You know, and in you specifically, you're in a field where you're interacting with people. If you were just an engineer, that's perfectly fine. You're just working with machines. But if you want to really be able to empathize with the people that you're across from and understand what their experiences it experience is, training of the mind and training of attitude and understanding emotion is going to be crucial. Absolutely. That's one reason I love reading so much and listening to her podcast. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so that's that's a great tip. So how would you recommend people to train their mind? Yeah. Because one thing we look at, you know, being healthy, and we only look at it at a physical level, where like you have to work out and eat right. Mm -hmm. But what are you doing for your mind? Are you just watching TV, filling with garbage, listening to mm -hmm. drama and gossip, or are you filling it with? You know, autobiography or biographies from the greats or motivational books or talking about psychology or having deep conversations with members of your church or, you know, whatever that may be. So what have you found to be efficient ways mm -hmm. to fuel your mind mm -hmm. with empowering growth-centered type material? I think you just gave them all a bunch of ideas, Adam. <laughs> I'm from the best. <laughs> Podcasts. Um having those deeper conversations with people who stimulate you and challenge you to, and here's a good one. And I don't know if this is the most efficient, it is probably a very effective way, but to get out of the mindset that we need to be around like-minded people all the time and to put ourselves in positions where we know people are probably going to disagree to challenge and, your beliefs oh, yeah. and see why you believe it in the first place. Yeah, and even if you want to believe it anymore. Yeah, so putting ourselves in positions where we're meeting and, and um, talking with people who think differently mm. and who have different beliefs and values and so that we can get different perspectives. We can, you know, we have what's called confirmation bias. Um, we tend to gravitate towards the things that are going to confirm what we already believe and that feel good to what is already, already feels congruent to us. And so while it, it can feel uncomfortable at first to do that, to put yourself in that position, you know, we're, we're right now in this conference, in the Diet Doc conference, we're around pretty like-minded people. However, Everyone out there is very different in terms of what their life experiences have been and how they've come into the profession of being nutrition and health coaches. And all of them have different ideas about how they would go about interacting with a client with a specific issue, for example. And so, you know, we're in, we're in prime position right now to have these discussions where we might be able to say, gosh, I never thought about it that way. Um, I think that I would approach it from this perspective and that, that novelty that occurs and those differences that are, are there for us to kind of meander around is super important for learning and growth.
So that would be one thing. But, you know, you and I have had discussions about how, um, you know, where our attention goes, energy flows. Mm -hmm. So if, if we are filling our minds with junk or we're watching TV that's promoting a certain message that isn't necessarily going to foster the emotions that we want to feel more often and the behavior that we want to engage in, um, then we need to, we need to, we need to really, what we need to do is we need to take an assessment first. Like, how am I spending my time? Yeah. How am I spending my mental energy? What gets measured gets managed. Yes. So yeah. Taking stock. Take stock. Um, do an assessment just write down over the next the course of the next day what you're spending your time on see how much time you're spending on social media and what you're spending your time on doing in social media because man i have a lot of clients who i ask to take like a social media hiatus because when they start observing themselves they notice that um they have almost this immediate like bodily visceral response where they collapse and they start to feel really not confident and they start comparing themselves to other people and uh, it, it just has a really really negative impact on them and so once they notice that then they're like oh that's one of those things that you know what I am willingly and now that I recognize it's there, I've been deliberately channeling energy in that direction, and it's not in my service. Yeah. Yeah. Comparison is the thief of joy, and what you're comparing isn't even reality. It's what people want you to see or think about themselves, which who doesn't want to share their highlight reel mm -hmm. versus the behind-the-scenes wrecks or you know how many... How many uh, cakes they burnt before they made the one that looks perfect? I'm like, oh yeah, that was me. I did it blindfolded. Yeah. You can't do that? What's wrong <laughs> with you? You know, just little things like that or um, how you dress or what you talk to, where you go. Like, oh, I'm traveling again, but you only do that once a year and you just went into debt and it's going to take you three months to pay it off. Mm -hmm. But what you see is, oh, they have so much money and freedom. Why don't I have that? There must be something wrong. I'm doing something wrong. And it's that negative talk, the thoughts that we give our attention to. Right. So. And we're really good at making assumptions. Uh, and our brains are really great at filling in the blanks when we don't have all the information. And many of us operate from a scarcity mindset. So if we don't have all the information, but this it looks really good on the screen, um, we may go into that comparison sort of attitude and we're going to assume that that person has it much better and that person has all the things and I don't and um, it just becomes a very negative feedback loop and here's the deal though, we have a choice. We have the choice about what we're spending our time and our energy and our attention on. Where are we letting it land? And that's so. where motivational interviewing brings us back <laughs> to looking at the good stuff. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. coming back to that, um, with motivational interviewing, um, with all your experience that we talked about um, through the years, are there any general bullet points or concepts that, let's say someone is going to be meeting with a client for the first time yeah. and they want to do motivational interviewing, um, or they feel like they can improve or are not confident in their skill in motivational mm -hmm. interviewing, um, are there certain bullet points or main concepts mm -hmm. to keep in mind? Uh, I guess two facets here. 
one listing of things that you should do that are effective and things that you should not do and avoid. So let's start with the things that would be more effective. And I would start with bolstering your own education about what motivational interviewing is and learning and having an understanding about the different stages of change that a client will go through on their journey to, to shifting their behaviors. You know, some people are, they're just, they are just generating a little bit of interest about maybe taking a step. Okay, they're, they're just, they're pre-contemplation. <laughs> and then you have, now we're in full action phase, okay? But that's not to say that someone in action phase can't go back to contemplating whether that's even what they really want to be doing anymore. And then we have, you know, maintenance. So there's a full spectrum of the stages that a client is going to go through. And with motivational interviewing, if a client is pre in pre-contemplation mode where they're not ready to take action, that doesn't mean that we can't move them forward. One step. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, so with motivational interviewing, there are certain types of questions that you might ask or you know, shift the questions around in order to facilitate that person moving a little step closer to taking action or just to the next phase. Um, and in, in the case of pre-contemplation, it's just, it's some education. Like, I really appreciate you being here today and, and talking to me about what you might be interested in pursuing. You know, here's, and this is what I'm doing with you guys now. <laughs> I would pick up the motivational, motivational interviewing book. Or here's a, a handout that would be really good for you to read just to get a bit more information about it since you're considering it. Um, so that's a, that's a do. Yep. Um, a don't. Don't yell. <laughs> don't yell. Don't say yeah, yes to <laughs> You know, you're right. I don't think that you're even you're equipped at all to do this. Um, you know, here's another do. I, I have a hard time going to the don'ts. I have to be honest, Adam. Motivational memory. What do you do? We're focusing on building this up. So. <laughs> uh, use humor. Use humor in your sessions. That's a, that's a do. People really respond well to kind of a lightness and even a person who comes in and is feeling pretty discouraged and downtrodden or distressed about where they're at currently um you you providing that safe space and that it can really be facilitated by smiling and having a little bit of yeah like joviality within your session together I support that statement. As a pharmacist, laughter <laughs> is the best medicine. So There we go. Yeah. Gosh, the don'ts. That's tough. Don't assume you have all the answers. Don't assume you know what the client is experiencing. Assume is a big thing. And that's not just for us as clinicians, but even as clients or patients, if we flip it, that's where we get into the mindset trap problems is making those assumptions like we were just talking about social media, mm -hmm. assuming that they have it all because you see that 0.0001% of their time, but right. you didn't see all the others. So don't yeah, assume. Yeah, it's one of those thinking errors. It's a thinking trap. Uh, you know, in my line of work, it's called a cognitive distortion, and we make other ones too, like l labeling things in very black and white terms. Um, 
overemphasizing certain things and minimizing other things, like making a mountain out of a molehill. Um, catastrophizing, that's another thinking error. And no, I never do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> Denial. And you'll notice this as you go through uh, interviewing your patients or your clients, you'll notice them very often engaged in those sorts of thinking errors. You'll notice the always, the nevers, the, the I can'ts, the very negative thinking, um, and you'll really get a feel for where their barriers are and why they are experiencing what they're experiencing just based on the language that they're using. Extreme words, always, never, uh -huh. things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, those are awesome points. I would also um, just want to reemphasize that going in like what your expectations are because mm -hmm. that's huge mm -hmm. at defining your own success and meeting with a client is not expecting them um, looking at the trans theoretical model of change, not expecting mm -hmm. them to go from pre-contemplative to maintenance in a session, <laughs> but to move them one step ahead to meet them where they are because maybe they are in um, the action stage and they're beyond pre-contemplation. But looking at, you know, where are they, what are their goals, what's important to them, yeah. and then just meeting them where they are and having that safe space dialogue. Mm -hmm. That's really, like, what I'm hearing is that's really what it's about, is having that support, that dialogue to allow that process to unfold mm -hmm. to an empowering standpoint. Yeah, and I love that word, Adam, that you just used, unfolding, to me. It's because it's centered around a very uh, present-minded focus. That one thing is going to unfold and now we have something to work with. Another thing is going to unfold. It's like the turning of a page of a book, almost. I love books. <laughs> I know you do. And you're, you're, you're like, you're excited to get to the next page and yet you want to stay very focused on the current page because it has such rich information and data. And as humans, we're the same freaking way. Like, if we're not present for what's right in front of us right mm -hmm. now, we're going to miss a whole bunch of awesome information. This is something that I personally have gone through and am still going through now. Um, my sister is a world traveler and a full-blooded entrepreneur, and she has this bracelet that she has worn for seven years. And all it is is a very thin bracelet, and it's got three words. Mm. Be here now. Mm. And she says anytime she has, yeah, <laughs> anytime she starts thinking or, you know, worrying or catastrophizing or there's a issue, she just looks at it, and it's just be here now. That's her stimulus. For me, when I've conditioned myself to the point where when I feel myself getting anxiety or starting to go down that road, mm. it's a cue to stop and take five big belly breaths, which is breathing from your belly. So when you inhale, your chest isn't rising, but your, your belly is expanding, um, which will deliver more oxygen to your muscles and brain and so forth. But that just helps address the vagus nerve response yep. um, to really calm you down and think, you know, what is going on right now, yeah. being present. And that's a huge thing that I've struggled with over the years and I've come to a place of improving. Still got ways to go. But, but we just had a conversation about this. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it was so. even it was over email, it wasn't even face to face. But yeah. I think that no matter how practiced we are 
at coming back to present and coming back to focus and clarity, we can, all of us need to have a tribe or even one or two people that we know we can reach out to when we feel like the world is chaotic and, um, or and, dog. <laughs> animal, yeah, I'm my cat. <laughs> I, I've got Jackson that I, I consult with, um, and he's very centering for me. But that someone that we can really connect with and who we trust enough to remind us that we have the capacity to be here now. And one of my favorite quotes is, it's a roomy quote, and it's wherever you stand, be the soul of that place. Mm. And that it capitalizes on the same concept presentness yeah. yeah so we don't know the future it's not here yet the past we can't change because it's already gone but every day is a gift which is why it's called the present so let's unfold that <laughs> learn and grow and use motivational interviewing to help those we care about in serving as either our patients or our clients get to that place too because they have that within, within them, we all do, and that's the gift of motivational interviewing is bringing that to their attention, not giving yeah. them anything or fixing or changing, but unveiling what's already there. Um, and that's the beauty and the skill of being a coach, uh, to do that. Um, so I think that we've learned a ton from Dr. Corey, but I know y'all wanna learn more so if you do, um, <laughs> where can they listen to your podcast? And tell us about the podcast. Oh gosh, that's it's pretty exciting because this is. is something we've wanted to get rolling for at least a few years, and we finally are. But it's called the Diet Doc Life Mastery Podcast, and we have about seven episodes out currently. I've listened to them all. <laughs> <laughs> Super fun. This is something we do daily, Monday through Friday, except for we're kind of missing it out right now because we're gone, but... Um, we have some different categories that we do, and there's there's coaching clinic, there's macro mastery, there's motivational mastery, there's science or fiction, and so we really wanted to get kind of a broad spectrum um, so that we can we can really touch the lives of a lot of people. But for those of you who are coaches out there, I think you're going to find them uh, really relevant to your work and. They'll give you ideas that you can apply immediately in your sessions. and So yeah, there's that podcast. Um, so it's in audio. You can find it, the Diet Doc Life Mastery Podcast on SoundCloud. But we also do it uh, as we film it too. So it's also video. And you can find that on our YouTube channel, The Diet Doc Weight Loss. And or you can go to our blog. And it's there on our website, thedietdoc.com. And my email address, I'd love to hear from you guys if you want to email me. It's Corey, K-O-R-I, at thedietdoc.com. And I know we touched on social media, so if you want to change away from comparison and look instead of empowerment, where can they find you on the gram? On the what? The Instagram. Oh, wow. You can tell I'm not on. (laughs) I tag her and I get a response in three days. That's like a year. (laughs) The gram. We are the Diet Doc Weight Loss. Yeah, thank you. Gotta plug it. (laughs) She's getting there, guys. You gotta be patient. (laughs) Please, please. I just want to say one more thing. So we've talked about motivational interviewing being great for interviewing other people. Use it on yourselves, guys. 
That's what I've been doing. Yeah. I gotta keep working at that. Ask sure. the powerful questions of yourselves. There's so much research that shows that those who wrestle with those very difficult, almost existential, powerful questions are the happiest people. They experience the most meaning in their lives, they experience the most positive emotion in their lives, they have the most robust relationships. Yeah, do it. It's fun. <laughs> it's a learning experience. And there's no wrong answer, so you can't right. lose. Tests are done. I'm not going back to that. <laughs> well, it was an absolute pleasure. Uh, this is Dr. Adam Martin at The Fit Pharmacist signing off with Dr. Corey Probst of the Diet Doc Corporate in Nashville, Tennessee. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for your knowledge and inspiration. Be sure to follow Life Mastery Podcast. Reach out to Corey at Corey, K-O-R-I, at thedietdoc.com to reach her through email. She's lightning fast at responding. I don't know how she does it, but she does. And then uh, also... She's not on the gram all the time. She's got me there. She's got me there. But I sent you a DM about that and you didn't read yet, so there it is. All right, guys. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, We will see you next time. Hey, thanks for listening to another episode of the Fit Pharmacist Podcast, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. You can find more about the Fit Pharmacist and changing your life and the life of your patients. Go to thefitpharmacist.com. Once again, that's thefitpharmacist.com. Reach out to Adam Martin. He is so helpful. He is constantly ready to work with other pharmacists. Become part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Be sure to listen to the other shows. Give us your feedback. And most of all, thank you so much. Please share this show. Give us a rating on iTunes. Go to Twitter and follow us at Pharmacy Podcast. Go to the gram, as Adam Martin says, at Pharmacy Podcast. Looking forward to interacting. Please give us a rating on iTunes. We appreciate your listening. Send us a message. Thank you, Pharmacy Podcast Nation.